Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Art of Customer Service brought to you by Digital Compact. My name is Eric van Müller. I'm your host on this show, a former canoeing world champion, father of three, and founder of Soulmate, a leading platform for customer service automation. Our automation platform, powered by smart conversational AI, allows companies to deliver quality customer service faster. On the order of customer service, I talk with experts about what makes good customer service tick, which tools and practices are relevant, which new technologies are available in the customer service area, and other exciting topics around a great service experience. If you like that podcast, I'm happy for a five stars review on the streaming service of your choice. Today's episode on the art of customer service is about best practices in outsourcing with a focus on e-commerce. Who, as a service leader, has not thought about shall I outsource, shall I keep it in-house, shall I do both? What is the best strategy? And we're going to talk about this and other best practices around this topic with Henning Hesen, co-founder of Sales Supply, customer care and logistics outsourcing company. So I have an expert with me who's doing that day in and day out. Great to have you on the show today, Henning, and welcome. Hi, Eric. Great to have you on the show. Before we start, you have founded a company that is very successful in the market. So tell me about how you got to this point and what do you do? What's your vision? Sales Supply is, uh, as you said, a logistics and customer service company. But we started 12 years ago, 13 years ago in 2008, being the biggest automotive parts company in Holland. We had some uh, 14, 15 shops with different articles from windscreens and brake discs and tow bars. And we were the market leader in Holland. So that was 2006, 2007. And being a market leader in that time, it was not so hard. You put articles in eBay and they were sold and you did some SEO work, like you put in your articles and then two days later you were number one. So we were that. And then we pretty quickly thought about expanding, expanding our business internationally. So we did that, but it didn't work so well because we didn't know good French. We didn't know good Spanish. I am a German, so a bit better in Germany, but we didn't have the people who had the knowledge. We pretty quickly found out that having local knowledge, having local people is the recipe for having local success. At that point, we invested in an office in France, in Germany. We did all the marketing work and all the customer service and all the logistics from there. So we delivered quicker. We, we could speak the language of those local people. We had the local knowledge of making marketing. In the, in the beginning, we had typos in the AdWords campaigns, you know, so that was bad, bad, bad. But that was the practical way of doing business uh, back then. Two years later, we were also successful in those two other countries. And then we thought from an entrepreneurial style, maybe we solved our problem. So maybe there are other companies, other e-commerce companies who need that service as well. So we're trying to resell our infrastructure that we had. And then we went to a trade fair in Holland. And on that trade fair, we scored immediately 30 clients. 30 clients said immediately, okay, if you do that locally, I'm also struggling with that. I don't have local people. So 30 clients was for us that we said, okay, this is a good idea. And then we we started Sales Supply. So we went on the market with Sales Supply and I think in year two, we had 70 or, or 90 clients serving them locally with local services. And with the years, we cut some services. So we cut it online marketing, which was too complex to do. And then in 2012, something like that, we focused on two things only that was doing local logistics for the people and doing local customer service. And that's what I think you still do today. So you told me you're a an e-commerce specialized call center and logistics company 
with a low entry point. And may maybe it, this makes sense to now take a step back. And when I think about outsourcing, I think about those big call centers when you have like 500 customer service agents and you want to like do this for cost savings as like a typical outsourcing idea. Can you give us a quick overview on the market and how you fit into this market, like a segmentation? So what we did was pretty new at the time and it is pretty unique is what we still do. If you look at those two markets, logistics and customer service, let's take a customer service first. So what you have in every country is, let's say, 100 call centers, let's say 90% doing local business. So German call centers doing some German and maybe they have a French guy or whatever. And French in France, it's the same. Maybe you have 100, 150 call centers, but they mainly do French call, call center service for French companies. So successful e-commerce is always internationalizing. It's always pretty quickly doing the scale up into other countries. So what makes us unique in that part is that we service clients in 20 languages, but we can offer 36 languages at this time. So you have a partner who can service you not only in your domestic market, but also in international markets. But if you compare us to the big call centers and you take, for instance, Teleperformance or Capitar or WebHelp, they are like, we are like 800 people, something like that. They are 80,000 people. But if you go to them and you say, hey, I have in the Dutch language, I have 30 calls a day. and But in Germany, I have like a thousand calls a day. But in Italy, I only have 50 calls a day. Then they will pretty quickly come up with the solutions of, of complete agents. They say, okay, for Italy, you need three agents. And for Holland, you need three agents. And for D Germany, we supply you with 50 agents or whatever. That's their business that they want to sell. So we start, what you said, we have a low entry. We start from thousand euro per language, which makes also the scale up economically good business in a sense of that you can scale up without going broke and without having to hire for 10k or whatever a complete team and that makes us unique still that we can offer 36 languages with a low entry and that we can scale up from 10 calls per day to 1000 calls per day and that's something that's unique in Europe still because the big ones they only want the big clients and the small ones they cope with delivering the service that customers want at all so our niche is really the e-commerce a specialized call center offering low entry with multiple languages. I know from my own call center experience, you know, I've had an e-commerce company myself some years in the past, and we've had the exact issue that you were talking about, because you need minimum three agents per country. One is on vacation, a second one is sick. You need to have at least one agent eight hours a day or like available, which means you need to have three people on a payroll and you need to have someone speaking that language as a supervisor. The internationalization in customer service is a big challenge. I see that. True. And that's why we came from being an e-commerce company ourselves. And we understood that if you start in a country, you have low volume and don't want to hire two or three people. So the practical way is that you hire one person. A lot of people do that, of course. And then they have one person. And if he's on holiday, it, you do English. Nobody can do customer service. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he does customer service. He does the content management and he, do, he does it all. And then if he goes on holiday, someone takes over in English, you know, that's like going fishing. And if you fish something, it's good. And if not, not, it's okay. It's okay. But if you want to go on professional to a new market and you say, you know, customer service is important. I think it's important. You think that then uh, having a customer service team, let's say, and not in the business hours, not from nine to six, because people are working then, you know, I'm talking also about the evenings where people shop a lot and also in the weekends. And the practical way would be that, that you say, well, domestically, it's, it's pretty good. We have the evening hours, we have the weekend, but international, let's say the Dutch and the Italian, ah, we, we can't do it. And it's not so important. 
So why is it important in your own country? But why is it important to have good customer service? Because it's practical for you, you come up with those arguments. So outsourcing is always a good start point when you go international. You need local people too, but you don't need three people and you need a sustainable team and you get that when you outsource. One thing that I consistently hear in this podcast is customer service is important. I also learned that you say every, like not every market is important, but every client is important. So why should you treat a client in the Netherlands or in France different if your home market has like a better customer service? I totally get that point. In our discussion prior to that podcast, you said something like from ouch, make wow. What do you mean by that? It's turning a client who maybe hates you because you solved his problems really bad. He's expecting to get bad service because you expect that in, in the online business, you have complained and you think, wow, no, I have to send pictures. So you turn the customer around, supplying him with a better customer experience that he expected. And that's, that's how you create fans by doing more than he expected. And that's something that we do at Sales Supply with our customers. So with e-commerce companies, we try to supply them with more if they have a product complaint. But that's also how we tick on doing the phone. We like to make the customer happy. That's what we stand for. And, and making him happy, everyone can deliver a parcel from A to B within one or two days. So you don't get fans by doing that. You get fans by doing that if you do that a long time. But you really get fans by solving problems for the customer. And that's when he has a complaint. So a product complaint is a chance to win that customer over for a lifetime. Because you don't say, yeah, well, I refund you 10 euros or send back the shoes or this or that. So you give a really big service to say, you know, we sent the shoes already. Please send us back and we will give you a refund and we will give you a voucher for something. Or you send them. We even have clients who send flowers to the customer. So you make really you out and that's how you create fans they will never forget you if you deliver within one day from a to b they will forget you but if you make it emotionally they won't forget you and that's what we try to work out with our customers to set it up when you have a product complaint and that's a different approach that we have we try to win fans From out, make wow. One of the learnings. I can tell you that this truly is right. I'm an outdoor person. I'm still ordering some sport gear. And I wanted to have something special, which I only could get from some supplier in the US from a mountain bike. So I ordered this package and it didn't come. It didn't arrive. It was stuck for two weeks. And then I wrote to customer service. Sometimes I'm also testing them to say, hey, I got a problem. Can you help me? They didn't answer for a week. And this is the most frustrating experience that you can have to not get an answer within a week. And then I got an answer after shooting a second message. Hey, I didn't get an answer for a week. What do we do? They said, well, let me now check in with the provider. They just had a backlog of tickets. And finally, packages still not arrived six weeks later, which is what you just said from ouch to well, I had an ouch. I wanted to use some special part from a mountain bike and I couldn't have it. It's an emotional topic. You know, it's not a big deal for me. But if I was not a leader of a customer service organization, then I would have just been very very annoyed. I understand the issues of customer service teams, of course, but you need to have this out and you need to make it a well. So they should have said, well, I'm going to cancel the parcel. I send you an express because I know it's important for you. And that's how I would, of course, have ordered again with them. So you would have become a fan because if it's becoming emotional, you talk about that on birthdays or whatever, you know, I read in the white paper, or IBM or PwC, they researched it, that people on an average tell 29 people about a bad experience. Now, let's say you tell half 13 people, or 14 people about a good experience. You know, that's winning 14 people over and ditching 29 clients. So, but the middle is that you don't talk at all. The middle is that you deliver
delivered as an online shop and you did just well. That's what we tell our customers. Having a complaint is a chance. But a lot of online shops, they think in money. They also think in customer service as a cost center. They put money in marketing like hell. You know, they spend 10, 20, 30, 50 euro in a new client. The client has a product complaint and no, 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 it's his fault. And then I tell companies, hey, you put so much money in new clients and then you could win a fan and then you don't put money where it belongs, taking the chance and winning a fan. That's what we try to do as an outsourcing company, helping the clients get better. I wanted to exactly come to that point. If it's about from out to wow, why should companies outsource that? When I think about outsourcing, it's typically about cost, not about quality. Or what would you advise to a company thinking about a market entry or doing it themselves? I think it has to do with the mindset. We are a company, we want to make customers happy, you know. If you read on LinkedIn how I work as a person, you will find that I want to be the easiest partner to work with in the industry. And I did some industry, I'm an entrepreneur by heart, and I always wanted to be the easiest partner to work with. So product complaints, when I started to do business, was always people called me and said, well, I have a product complaint. And the first thing that I always said was, no worries, I am going to solve this for you. If it costs money, I will pay it. No problem. So what's the problem? And then people were from really emotional to, okay. And then the problem was not as big as they were transferring emotionally. They didn't have to pump up themselves so much. So what we also do at Sales Supply is when we get product complaints, we read from bottom to top. So because at the bottom, it's the bottom line. And there they rewrite what they want to have. Do they want to have 50 euro? Do they want to really have a complaint? Are they going to the Rechtsanwalt or whatever? You save a lot of time when you don't read from top to bottom, but you read from bottom to top. And sometimes the letter is like three pages. And then they say at the bottom line, yeah, it would be good if you give us 10 euro. We are, of course, P&L driven. You know, we are not a company that gives away, but we do pretty good by just having the mindset that we want to make customers happy. And that's maybe a difference from the bigger companies who are really, really P&L driven. They I say, mean, of yeah. course, everyone needs to run a company, but the question is, how you do you run a company? Exactly. Also, an Amazon is customer driven and they do a pretty good business and you could argue not or whatever, but that's our mindset that we come from there and we are, uh, the founders are still working in the company and we are all like that. If we have a customer who is really not happy with our service or he has a product complaint, we do everything to make him happy immediately. We are not a company that says, yeah, okay, let's look at it. We will talk about it in a team. And that's the difference that we are founders driven and the mindset of helping the customer before making money. That's something that's also really unique in this market. A best practice in customer service is to read from the bottom to the top in a message. I just want to repeat that quickly because you should give an executive somewhere first of, hey, I want to get this 10 euro voucher. This is my arguments. And then you come to your conclusion, but nobody writes emails that way. I never thought about doing that, but I like it. And I just want to highlight this once again. You do customer service and logistics. So you have warehouses in multiple countries and you serve 36 languages. If I would be an e-commerce company or any company that thinks about logistics and customer service, why is the combination of that unique? Do you think you have clients that only do customer service or only logistics or is one plus one three? One plus one is not three. I have to say that in the best interest of customers. So what I always say is don't outsource everything with one customer. If you are a bigger company, I would never do that. I, I see that. But let's say a company like Arvato, which has 80,000, 100,000 people, they just sold their complete call center and they did call center and they did logistics. And I also knew the business developers there and they hadn't had a lot of clients who did and the logistics and the customer service there. And that's the same with Sales Supply. We have, I think, some 10 
10, 15 companies who do both, but they are in a scale-up phase. So what they say, we want to be lean and mean, you know, they want to focus themselves on marketing, on expanding, and then they say, okay, you know, you can offer me the three, four countries with customer service and logistics, and that works to a certain level. Uh, mainly, we have customers who only do customer service, and then we have customers who only do the logistics. Customer service needs, of course, extreme good data because you need to know where parcels are, what's in stock, which products are going to be delivered, when is the next batch coming. That, that's all very important. And also, especially in e-commerce, real-time information that are dealing with the physical world. And I know from my own experience, I was having a big warehouse, I think 10,000 square meters, where the complexity lies in the detail. You know, shipping a package in 95% of the times works, but sometimes things just go wrong and we're not yet on 100% accuracy. I think that's a second Second big learning, logistics and customer service can be separated and don't need to be together. So you can outsource customer service and have logistics in-house or vice versa or both. And both to different vendors. Yeah, exactly. It's also complete different businesses. And if you look at it from the organizational point of view, we have, uh, let, let's say, mid-sized customers in both areas. And what you see is that you pretty quickly have e-commerce managers who manage the customer service and a head of customer service. And a lot of people do their logistics themselves because they want to own the product. So companies have a bigger emotional attachment to their products sometimes than to their customers. You know, customer service is something that they out source, but logistics, not so much. There's something to say by doing it in-house and doing it out-house. We have bigger companies that are making the switch three years, they outsource, then they insource, and then they outsource again because a new manager and also the insourcing and outsourcing, it's a mindset thing. Some people, they can really delegate really well. You know, they trust other people. They say, you know, this is an outsourcing company. They can do it. Some people don't trust other companies. They want to do it in-house because maybe they believe outsourcing their customer service is maybe expensive and maybe low quality. That's just not the case. There are a lot of e-commerce companies who choose to do it themselves bad, but they control the whole process. But that's in their minds because they think they control it. It's better, but it's worse. By outsourcing it, you have a scalable customer service. We are often better than the in-house customer service when they do it bad or when they are not scalable like that. Of course, you're running an outsourcing company, but it's so interesting to hear from you that it's about control, it's about quality, and it's about price. And if this is a triangle, it's probably a managerial judgment call whether to outsource or not. I'm often approached, you know, we are a software company, whether we want to outsource our IT department to kind of low-cost countries and these things. And we have a very clear in-house strategy because we want control and we want quality. And price is just not important because it's about quality of our software that we deliver to clients. And there is no question whether I would at any point in time outsource my IT. Is there a ground truth where you say, I believe all the companies should outsource or they shouldn't or at a certain scale or they should try it out? I myself, I have outsourced at my e-commerce company. I have insourced again. I have kept customer service in-house and never outsourced that because we wanted to have the control. So is there a silver bullet? Which decision criteria would you give the listeners as a learning? In my life, I compare everything with relationships and with marriage and everything with cars. So if you look at marriage, <laughs> you know, some, so if, you, if you ask me, should every man get married or not? That's the same question, you know? So what we learned in the last 12 years, what is our ideal customer? I always say it's a customer who trusts us. If you are an e-commerce manager who wants to do it all in 
in-house because you believe in that and you can control it and you do it well, then that's your thing. If you have a tight budget and you have to start in France and you don't get the budget of 10K for hiring three people, then you have to outsource, you know? So it's a combination of that and the speed of your company. 2008 to 2012, we supported a lot of companies that were searching investors. They wanted to do an exit. So uh, one example is the company Tennis Point. That was one of our biggest customers at the time and they were the biggest in Germany. They talked to investors and being the biggest in Germany, it's interesting, right? Because you are the biggest in Germany. But being the biggest in Europe, that's really interesting. And that's how Zalando and all those companies did. So they wanted to be the biggest in Europe, but they couldn't hire because they were in some village in Germany. They couldn't hire so much French and Spanish and Dutch and Finnish and Swedish and Danish. They, they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't because they had to move so fast because they got some money from investors. But that was Series A. So they outsourced the whole internationalization and the whole customer service and everything to us. And we were live, I think, in five, six, seven countries within eight weeks. And then they could go to the next investor and say, hey, this, these are the websites. We are active in eight countries. We have great reviews. We have customers. We have everything in place. If you want to do that, you should outsource. I wouldn't say that there is one reason to get married or one reason to outsource or not. It has to do with trust and where are you as a company. I would say if you do it bad yourself because you don't have the funding or you don't have the knowledge, then look for a good company to outsource it. I had just heard three additional dimensions to think of. We had the first three, which are control, price, and budget. And now I heard flexibility. You can work with a vendor and you can stop, but it's very hard to kind of get rid of a full department. Budget. You need to approve a budget, which you need to hire people for, which is like a fixed P&L item compared to this is a vendor that we're going to pay on a certain contractual level on a per order per call basis. And then you got speed to market because I know how hard it is to set up a logistics center and to set up a call center because it's about the nitty-gritty details of having workplaces, having software installed, change management. And you told me in the call that we had before that sometimes you work like on your own systems, meaning you can say an agent just gets a new client and they can start working immediately. So time to market is also important. Yeah, that's really important for some companies. You know, if you have a slow expansion plan, then it doesn't matter. Maybe you can hire some people. But if you have a fast expansion plan, it's important to find the right customer. We work for one big client, I think in 14 languages, being the flexible layer. That's also a reason to outsource. Maybe you have two or three guys per language, but the evening hours and the weekend and they are people people sick and then one on holiday. So they have only one person and then they have a peak. So we are the flexible layer there. We have now a new customer, Panasonic, doing a customer service for them in 22 languages, I think. You won't find a vendor like Sales Supply doing middle-low volumes in so much languages. That's also a reason struggling. How am I going to cope with my scale-up internationally? And that's the easy one for us to get into because you, you don't find another company doing that. It's always good to have a strategic positioning where you say nobody else can do that. I like it. Yeah, I know. I, I hope that point. no one's listening and does it tomorrow. <laughs> so that's a seventh argument. Control, price, quality, flexibility, budget, speed to market and availability. And from the price point of view, I have to say, I wouldn't say that we are cheaper. I think if you do it yourself, it could be cheaper. But how are you going to start, let's say, in a country with three people versus thousand euro paying us having a complete customer service in France. So how, how are you going to cope with that? Maybe if you want to build a flexible layer. So how are you going to do that? Evening hours and the weekend. If you could do that all yourself with students and, and what some people do, but then you have to manage some 50 people if you go to 10 countries yourself. 
So that costs money. You need team leads. So sometimes people, they want to start in France or whatever. And I tell them, okay, it's a thousand euro. And then they say, wow, 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 a thousand euro. Yeah, but I'm just starting there, my business. And then I say, if a thousand euro is a lot for France, maybe you shouldn't start in France. And then they start with Google Translate, of course. But these are people who should try it that way. And if they scale up well by having a good product or having a good price, they will pretty quickly find out that customer service is, I think, the tool to win repetitive customers. Customers. You should organize it as a profit center, giving customer service more features to win over clients than just saying, no, no, I'm sorry. And uh, yes, okay, bye-bye. No. That was a very awesome summary, Henning. I'm thankful for all those insights today on outsourcing and customer service, especially in e-commerce. That was Henning Hazen, co-founder of Sales Supply. And Sales Supply is a leader in very international, low to mid-volume outsourcing for logistics and customer service. Thanks, Henning, for being on the show today. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Danke fürs Zuhören beim Digital Kompakt Podcast. Du merkst, hier ziehst du massig Wissen für dich und dein Unternehmen heraus. Wenn du mit uns noch erfolgreicher werden möchtest, abonniere uns auf den gängigen Podcast-Plattformen. Und hey, je größer wir werden, desto mehr Menschen können wir helfen. Also erzähl doch auch deinen Kolleginnen und Kollegen von uns. Bis zum nächsten Mal.